Man, the Spirit is alive and well in this place today, isn't it? Amen. We are in um, actually our last uh, sermon series, sermon on the Parables of Jesus series. We are going to be talking about um, the lamp on a stand today from uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. I want to make sure I actually told you the one that was in your bulletin and not a different one this time. And now here's what the scripture says to us as we prepare our hearts to hear the word today. This is Mark 4. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, indeed. So when Joe and I moved to Georgia in 2004, boy, we're almost been here longer than I've been anywhere else, um, we decided that we had to have a house that had a lot of land. Um, And that meant to us, okay, so I'm from California, remember, so when I tell you how much land I have, do not laugh at me by thinking that that's a lot of land, all right? In California, you have a postage stamp and you think that that is a lot of land. We came and we said we had to have at least an acre of land. Jackson's laughing at me. I said not to laugh, Jackson. (laughs) And so we did. We got a house that had an acre of land and we felt like we had just died and gone to heaven. And the grass in this house... This grass was beautiful. It was so amazing. It was thick. It was lush. It was the stuff that you would step on and your feet felt like they were in heaven. It was just amazing. And so Joe and I decided, granted, we'd never taken care of a yard, not once ever before in our lives, just because of where we lived. We lived in a desert. Any grass that exists there is, I mean, really fake. It might be real, but it is. There's a lot of things that go into keeping that grass grass. And so we get a lawnmower because that's what responsible house-owning adults do. And we mowed the lawn once. We moved in August. And then after we, <laughs> after we moved the, mowed the lawn once, we noticed like five days later it was back to where it was before. And Joe looked at me and said, this is not going to be good. And I said, oh, it's fine. And then, you know, we go through the seasons. We are cutting the grass. We're taking care of it. About a year later, we notice that the grass does not look like it used to. It is not full. You don't want to walk on it because if you walk on it, you're going to start getting briars in your feet because other things are growing in the grass that's not grass. And then the next year, we realize that not only is the grass not nice anymore, but it's more weeds than it was grass. And so we realize that we have to call on the pros because we have failed. We have done a terrible job caring for this land that we just had to have. And the lawn guy comes and he says, well, yeah, you got to seed it. And I said, you got to what? He said, well, you have to take care of grass. I said, what do you mean you have to take care of grass? It's grass. You water it, you mow it, it'll be fine. And he said, he basically looked at me with the look that says, bless your heart. And not in the nice way, right? In the way that's like, oh, this Western girl, she doesn't know what she's doing. And he told us there's this whole like seasonal thing you have to do to your grass. You have to seed it, you have to aerate it, you have to do all these things. And Joe and I just looked at each other and went, oh, we're not doing that. So from that moment on, we had somebody else take care of our grass because we wanted to have grass. And it never came back. 
Never, never. By the time we moved 14 years later, the grass was never the same as it was the day that we moved in. And I always felt bad about that because we didn't know how to take care of it. We didn't know you had to tend grass. Who knew? I mean, it's grass. It's like a fern. Why do I have to do anything with it? Andrew knew. Andrew knew. He raises his hands. He says, I knew. I knew you had to tend grass. Everyone in this room knows you had to tend grass. I'm the only one. You grew up. Today's scripture talks to us about light, not grass. But as I was studying for this week's scripture, that moment in time just stood out to me. Because as I studied, I looked at the scripture around this parable of the sower. And if you look at the scripture before, you see that Jesus is doing all these miracles, or the parable of the lampstand. If you look at the parable before that, it's the parable of the sower, where Jesus tells them that there are going to be people who have deep-rooted vines, and they'll grow into be true followers of God. And then there's seed that's just going to be scattered on, you know, dirt and never go anywhere. And then there's going to be seed that has small vines or small roots. See, I really should not do plant analogies in my sermons. But seed that has, you know, not very good roots, and they'll stay Christian for a while, but then they'll float away. And then right after the lampstand we see scripture about more seed. We see scripture about the parable of the growing seed, which Jesus uses to talk about the kingdom of God, which is the same thing that happens in the parable of the sower. And then after that, you have the parable of the mustard seed. So surrounding this one parable about the lampstand, you have all of these parables about seed. And so it's not an accident that this parable is positioned right where it is. It's very intentional. And so what does that mean? Why is it that Jesus is talking about the light that comes from a lamp and how you don't cover that light, but you let it shine? Why does Jesus position this parable amongst the other parables about sowing seeds? So I did some praying about that. Did some thinking. And what I realized, or what God showed me, is that when Jesus is talking about the light on the lampstand, I think it's pretty clear. I think all of us could figure out what the light is, right? It is Jesus, it is faith, it is Christianity, it is what we are supposed to become in this world, right? Jesus is telling the disciples what the kingdom of God looks like. So let's first start with the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The first thing we hear about Jesus in the New Testament is that John is calling the people to repent because what? The kingdom of God is near. And then when Jesus gets here, he says, repent because the kingdom of God is here. So what is the kingdom of God? The world that we live in today is part of this kingdom and is not just something that happens once we die. A lot of us think that all of the good things that God has for us are waiting for us on the other side of death, which honestly, there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of good stuff waiting for us on the other side of this world. But what Jesus is teaching, especially when he talks about the seeds, in all of these parables about the seeds, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God as it's able to be experienced here in the world today. Jesus is teaching us He's teaching his disciples that they're meant to do a few things. First, they're meant to be a seed themselves, right? They're meant to be seeds that are planted in rich, 
fertile ground, my grass when we first moved into the house. And they're meant to grow. They're meant to flourish. They're meant to prosper. And the only way to do that, like we talked with the kids, is for it to get the proper water, the proper tending, and the proper care. But not only that, how is it that my yard ended up more weeds than grass? Because I did not plant weeds there. I don't know if you know that. I didn't go out there and spread weed seeds. I did not. I was smart enough not to do that, right? But they were there anyway. How did the weeds end up in my yard? Right? You know how that works better than I do. The wind blows. And the plants that were there before, they're, all right, Andrew, you're going to kill me because you're going to write me a whole sermon about how I'm telling this wrong. But in my imagination, how about I say it like that? In my imagination, they sprout these little seeds and then the wind picks them up and it carries them wherever they go, right? And then wherever they land, they tend to take up root. The crazy thing about weeds is that they're so much sturdier than the pretty grass than I had. Why? That's not cool. Not only are they sturdier, they go to root. We had our men come out a few weeks ago here and pull all of these weeds. These weeds were almost as tall as me. They started like on Monday, this big, and by Friday, they were this big, and by the next week, I don't know, they were bigger. But they grew fast and they grew strong, and if we hadn't pulled them, they would have taken over everything. How does that happen? Why is it necessary for us to reseed good seed for us to water the good seed, for us to baby the good seed, for us apparently to sing it lullabies in order for it to grow. <laughs> but a weed, on the other hand, just takes up root and takes over like it belongs there. If you think about our lives, it's the same way. And I believe that this is what Jesus is telling the disciples. You see, the seeds for the bad are everywhere. In the disciples' time, there was gossip. There wasn't TV, but there was definitely gossip. In the disciples' time, there was teachings that were false. In the disciples' time, there were thought patterns, ways of behaving that worked against the goodness that God wanted us to experience in the kingdom of God. In our time, that exists today too, right? Regardless of whether or not you're Christian, you turn on a TV and seeds are planted. Regardless of whether or not you're a Christian, you turn on the radio, especially if it's country radio. And listen, I love some Chris Stapleton like nobody's business. But you turn on the radio and there's some seeds planted, right? Images of life. Images of life that are shown to be a good image. The way that life should be. The way that we should live. How many of those images, how many of those seeds, how much of talk radio those of you who listen to talk radio that I'm secretly judging in my head. I'm not. I love you. How many of those images reflect the kingdom of God? At the same time, how many of those images are taking up root in your soul? Simply because you've been exposed to them. I mean, granted, it's more than my grass. I did not invite the weeds to my grass. I really did not. But we do invite these things in when we turn on the TV. We do invite these things in when we listen to the radio. We do invite these things in when we participate in the culture of the world around us. Now, I'm not telling you to become a shut-in, and I'm not telling you never to watch TV, and I'm not telling you to never listen to worldly music, because honestly, some of it is really just darn fun to listen to. 
What I'm telling you is that you have to realize that those seeds will take root if you don't do something about it. That those images, those ideas will become your image of what life is meant to look like if you don't do something about it. If you're not noticing the fact that there is an impact that these things have on our lives. And in the middle of this sermon, all of these teachings on seeds, all of these teachings about the things that grow inside of us, teaching us the things we don't want grow, but then teaching us how to grow things that are meant to grow, our faith, right? For those of us who are Christian, for those of us who are wondering, for those of us who are considering, for those of us who are just learning about Jesus but want to know more, in order to know more, in order to grow, in order to fertilize that seed, we have to water it. We have to water it. We have to feed it. We have to give it sunlight. We have to take it out into the open so it can get fresh air. Not only for us. And that's where the lampstand comes into play. You see, you could look at these ideas about the seed and you could think that this is just a really good self-help book. I mean, there's millions of them, and I'm not doing pastor math there. There are millions of self-help books out there that can help you live a better life, help you enjoy life more, help you to have happiness, help you to lose 7,000 pounds. It could help you to do all of the things, right? The Bible is not meant to be another self-help book. It's not meant to be just about us. It's meant to teach us how we grow in the sunlight of faith so that we can spread our seeds into the world along with the weeds that are out there, right? Because if we, as believers, do not start sprouting seeds, sharing them in the wind, all that's left, all that's left is the negative, is the bad. And what you see happening in our world today is an example of you and I not sharing sprouting seeds. We're all going to know this statistic by the time I'm done with it, and I'm not done with it yet, so it's coming up again. But one-third of the world claims to be Christian. That's billions of people. This world does not reflect billions of people who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. This world does not reflect billions of people who live their lives as Jesus taught us to live. If it did, we wouldn't experience the kind of things in this world that we're experiencing today. I have some statistics I want to share with you. One of the things that is not unique to our day that existed in the day of the disciples and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The thing that I think is so prevalent with us today is division. The us and them discussion, which honestly I'm not done talking about either. I'm going to keep talking about it until we start doing things about it. Because one of the biggest issues we have today is that there's them and then there's me and the people that think and believe and dress and look like me. We have division along political lines. We have division among the rich and the poor. I am where I am today because I worked really hard to get here, and they are where they are today because they didn't do nothing. We have division between immigrants and people who see themselves as native to states 
Listen, you know you judge anybody from the north and anybody from the west and anybody who didn't sprout right here in Georgia. Bless their hearts. <laughs> That's right. We have cultural division. Where my culture is better than your culture. The way that I celebrate God is better than the way that you celebrate God. We have religious division. The way that I celebrate God is better than the way that you celebrate God. In fact, the way you celebrate it, God is going to send you to hell. We have ethnic division. All of these ideas about what is right, what is wrong, not reflected in the totality of the word of God. Not meant to be a representation of the kingdom of God here on earth. Yet, it's a part of who we are and a part of the way that we interact with the world. It's one of the ways that the lampstand becomes covered. You see, the scripture tells us the lampstand is meant to sit up high and to shine a beacon of light into the world. Light detracts darkness. Light breaks into the darkness. Light fixes the darkness. But when you and I draw lines, metaphorically or for reals, we are participating in putting a cover on the lampstand of the light of God that is meant to shine from us into a dark world so this dark world knows that there's something more to life than what they are experiencing right now. And that is not happening because you and I are not shining bright. Do you know what a mass shooting is? It's a shooting that occurs where more than four people are injured or killed. Do you know how many we've had to date just in the United States? 400. It's July. 400. 400 people were broken enough inside of themselves that they thought that the way out for them was by hurting somebody else. And themselves. We cannot fix it after the fact. Our lights are supposed to shine so bright that even if somebody grows up in the darkest of the recesses of the world that we live in today with parents that don't love them, parents that don't care for them, because that's where these people came from. It didn't just happen. They didn't just become broken. They came from a home, from a system that broke them. They were creations of God just like you and I, but they were failed by you and I and by the world around them. Because it is hard to shine our light. It is scary to shine our light. We don't think people want to hear it. We think that people are going to hate us if we say, hey, have you heard about God? He's really cool. Domestic violence. There's only over 20,000 phone calls a day to the domestic violence hotline. A day. It's estimated that over 20 people per minute are abused. That leads to about 10 million people a year. Their abusers did not start off as abusive, hurtful people. They were raised in an environment 
that spoke to the darkest, deepest, ugliest places of our souls, which exist in all of us. They were raised not understanding that God loved them, that God created them, and that God had a plan for them. And that didn't happen because people like us, the billions of people who call themselves Christians, were too shy, too self-possessed, too, well, not self-possessed, self-concerned, to stand on that hill and shine a bright light into the darkness. When I look at how I came to faith, because I didn't grow up in a church home. Many of you grew up in a church home where your parents from the youngest of ages basically told you God is real, get, deal with it, right? God is real, you'll love him, you'll figure it out, right? Next week we're going to celebrate with kids who are taking on faith for themselves. But that didn't happen on accident. That happened because people were investing in them all along the way. And in my household... I grew up in an abusive household. I grew up in a household that had drugs and addiction, alcohol addiction. I grew up in a household where Christmases were frequented by police officers. Yet here I am today. And looking back, I can see some of the seeds that were shared with me. I see how my first introduction to Christ came through the Charlie Brown Christmas. That show is watched every year in my household because of the special place that it holds in my heart because that was the first time I heard scripture and I knew when Linus stood on that stage and said those words from Luke 2 I knew that there was something for me to understand but I didn't understand what that was but I knew there was something more and then I had this crazy aunt who I only met like twice in my whole life and honestly well, I shouldn't say that because I'd be judging her she wasn't anyway whatever she wasn't a perfect Christian, how about that, right? But she was Christian, and you know what she sent me? She sent me all of these things that would have scripture on them, but then she also sent me this tape. I remember it to this day. This was in the 80s. She sent me a tape called Salty Sing-Alongathon, Maranatha Marathon, Hallelujah Jubilee. I'll say it again if you want me to. And the whole tape is songs about the goodness of God. And I remember we lived in this little apartment, and my sisters and I shared this bedroom, and we would sit in that bedroom with the chaos of our world outside that door because it was chaos. And we would listen to Salty sing along with them, not knowing what in the world it meant, but it spoke to us. Then I went to college, and in college I went to a Christian school not knowing I was going to a Christian school, and all the people, surprise, all the people around me did these things. I remember this girl, I don't even remember her name. But I remember she had these post-it notes, and it would talk about her devotions. It would be what devotion she's doing today, what devotion she was going to do the next day. And I remember thinking, what in the world is a devotion? And why is she spending so much time doing it? It was at that school where friend upon friend, it took probably 10 invites for me to say yes to going to the campus ministry, the church across the street. And it was at that church that I gave my life to Christ. It wasn't the first seed. It wasn't the second seed. There was a lot of seeds in there that I probably don't even recognize right now, but they were there. And if one of those people, if my crazy aunt didn't send me that stupid, crazy tape, right, where would I be today? It takes all of our seeds floating into this darkness in order for the people who desperately need to know God to know that there's more to life than what they're experiencing right now and to know that they matter. 
And that job is not the job of the government, it is not the job of the schools, it is not even the job just of the parents or the families, because honestly, we can't count on that anymore. It is our job. To put ourselves up on a hill, shining the bright light. And guess what? The light doesn't come from us. It doesn't rely on me being perfect. Thank God. It doesn't rely on you being perfect. It relies on us watering our faith. And the more we water our faith, the more that we pray, the more we read scripture, the more that we're here together, the brighter the light of Jesus shines through us. And the more the darkness recedes in the kingdom of God, which exists on the earth today. If you want the news to change, if you want the world to look different than it does today, if you want your grandkids, your kids, your nieces, your nephews, if you want them to grow up in a world that is full of light, then you better start shining your light bright. Who knows how many people's faith you are responsible for? You never know what part you get to play on their journey. But you get the gift of knowing that you've played a part in the faith of somebody who is growing in Christ. So my charge to us today is the charge that Jesus gave his disciples. Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Or do you take it out and place it in a place where it will shine bright into the darkness that surrounds us? We can't fix the problems of the world, but we can make a difference. Simply, simply by sharing our faith with those around us. Let us pray. God, it is so hard to share our faith, which is unfathomable because I tell people about movies that I like, about TV shows I like, about music that I like, but to share you, the one thing that can actually change their lives is so much harder. God, give us courage and strength to do the two things we need to do, to water our faith and to tend our faith so it doesn't become full of weeds and then to shine our light brightly so that this world of darkness becomes bright and a reflection of your goodness. It's in your name we pray. Amen.